2 Kings chapter 6 is where we're going to go, and, um, and I'm going to do part 5 of the 5G series. Um, we're, in a, we're in a series called 5G. I can't figure out what is doing, what's the deal. Okay, I think that's working. I think everything's working. I think everything's working. All right. Oh, it says it's working. All right, so, so we're in part, uh, part 5 of the 5G series. And uh, let me do a really quick review on the core values of Second Chance Church so everybody, all of us, can get our minds wrapped around it. Um, there's five values that we have in Second Chance Church. The first one is called grace, and we're going to value the grace of God. We know that we're saved by grace, and we know we're sustained by grace. And so those two things are humongous. Um, Jesus said, um, do to other people as you would have them do to you. And, and we just think, man, what if we applied that to the relationships that we have? And so grace doesn't give us permission to sin, um, but grace covers us when we, when we do sin. And then the second, um, part of the 5G series is grow. It's not enough just to know about the grace of God, that we're called to grow in the grace of God. And, um, <clears throat> We said that uh, growing, um, the four ways we can grow is through gratitude, um, actually being thankful. Um, we said that rest is huge. Um, we said openness, just being open to what God wants to do in our lives. And then uh, W stood uh, for, for worship. So we said grace, grow. And then we said gifts. And I loved, I've never taught about spiritual gifts the way I taught about it on week three, where we talked about how compassion has to be the reason, has to be the motivation for our action. And if compassion isn't the motivation for our action, then we're going to be ineffective in the use of our spiritual gifts. So we talked about that. And then last week, last week we talked about give. And we said that we're going to give um, financially. That's going to be a core value in our church, that we're going to be financial givers and supporters. And I want to say Thank you to everyone who gives to Second Chance Church. If you want to give to Second Chance Church, um, you can go to our website, www.mysecondchancechurch.com, um, and click on the Give button in the upper right-hand corner, and, uh, and, and that's where you can give. And so we said we talked about giving, and I was, once again, thank you so much for those of you that give so faithfully. And last but not least, this week we're going to talk about part five of the series called Go. Now, I want to set it up like this. Um, several years ago, a friend of mine uh, let me borrow his minivan. I didn't have a minivan. I had an SUV, but I was taking a group of people to Atlanta. We were going to catch a flight to Texas, and, um, and, and we all kind of wanted to ride together. So I said, uh, I just kind of asked around, does anybody have a minivan I could borrow? And this one guy was like, yeah, I got a minivan. So he brought it um, by the office, and you know, we're going to kind of load it up and go. And he was kind of going over the things because I've never driven a minivan before, but it looked normal. And um, I noticed a piece of black electrical tape on the speedometer. And I thought that was weird. I was just like, um, why is there black? I mean, did it crack or something like that? And he said, no, 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 no. He said, uh, the check engine light is on. To which I replied, you know, uh, okay, um, just, I'm just going to ask a real practical question here. Uh, since the check engine light's on, have you actually checked the engine? He went, oh, no, no, no. And I said, well, how long has the check engine light been on? And he said, oh, it's been on like for about six or seven months. And I said, um, have you ever taken the car in to actually get the engine checked? And he was like, no, 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 it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. And, um, and I said, so you just put this black electrical tape 
for the check engine light so you wouldn't have to see it? And he went, yep, that's what I did. And um, it wouldn't have been a problem except for I was driving the car to Atlanta. So I'm naturally kind of freaking out all the way down there thinking the car's going to break down. And I'm freaking out all the way back thinking the car's going to break down. Um, but as I was preparing for this message in particular, that's, it's kind of um, reminded me of what the church has done in regards to the problems that we have in the world. You know, you don't, you don't have to look very far to discover that we have problems in this world. I mean, you just open up the internet. We see global unrest um, un, on a scale like we've never seen before. Um, there's political uncertainty. There's economic crisis all over the world. People um, really struggling. There's um, it seems like there's a terrorist attack about every day. We see news about school shootings. I mean, there, this world has legitimate problems. It's almost like there's a humongous check engine light on when it comes to the condition of the world. And I believe that God did not call the church to sit on the sideline and like worry about the world or just merely pray about the world. I think he called us to kind of st to step off the sideline and step into the world and actually make a difference. I really do think it's the gospel that will bring the solutions that this world most desperately needs. I don't think they're going to come through political means. I don't think they're going to come through financial means. I think the solutions that this world needs come through the gospel. And that's why I, that's why our fifth core value in Second Chance Church is go. We're going to take the gospel to the world. If you have a Bible, like I said, once you go to Second Kings chapter 6, we're going to start in Second Kings chapter 6. And, um, in the ancient world, things were a little different than they were today. And we're about to read about a city that, that has a serious problem. And the reason it had a problem is because it was at war with another city or another nation. And this nation marched their army and they laid siege to the city. And when, when they would lay, lay siege to a city, basically they would surround the city and try to starve them out. They would cut off their food supply. They would cut off their water supply. And the hopes was eventually the city would surrender. And because the city surrendered, it would kind of spare men from losing their lives in battle and things like that. So this foreign nation had came, the Arameans, had, and they had surrounded the city of Samaria where the capital of Israel was at the time. Israel had split into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, and the northern kingdom's um, capital was Samaria. And so Samaria had been um, laid, uh, the Assyrians had laid siege to Samaria. They had surrounded the entire city, and things in the city had gotten bad. Now, um, if you got a child around you, you might want to ask them to kind of step away for just a second because I'm going to read something in Scripture that's really kind of gross. Um, and I'm not, it's not crass, it's not perverted, it's, 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 it's just Scripture. Um, the, the, the thing that's so disturbing about it is we never read about this in like, if you grew up in church, you got a church background, you maybe never, have never heard this story because it's not safe and it's not sanitized, but it is in the Bible. And so here we go. The Bible says this in 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 26. As the king of Israel was passing by on the wall, a woman cried out to him, Help me, my lord, the king. In other words, people are looking for help, and they thought the king could help them. The king replied, If the lord does not help you, where can I get help for you? From the threshing floor 
from the wand press? Then he asked her, what's the matter? She answered, now this is, this is legit, gross. She answered, this woman said to me, give up your son so that we may eat him today. And tomorrow we'll eat my son. Now some people are like, oh, is that a metaphor or something? It's not a metaphor. This is how bad the situation had gotten in this city. So we cooked, in the next verse, verse 29, so we cooked my son and ate him. The next day I said to her, give up your son so that we may eat him. But she had hidden him. When the king heard the woman's words, he tore his robes and he went along the wall. The people looked and they saw that under his robes he had sackcloth on his body. Things had gotten so bad in this city that they were eating children. I think we can all agree that's messed up. That's about as bad as it gets. Now, the king, and, and you can read this on your own if you want to later on, the king is really upset um, at God. He gets mad at God, and because he's mad at God, he wants to go kill Elisha, the man of God, which um, a lot of times when bad things happen... Um, we always want to blame God. We want to get angry at God. I know people that are ill at God because there's so many starving kids in the world. There's starving people in the world. But um, one of the things we need to stop and realize is God has provided enough food to feed all the people in the world. Maybe it's not God's problem. Maybe it's greed in mankind that's been the problem in regards to why people can't get fed. You know, we, we always blame God for the hurricane, but we never thank him for the sunrise and the sunset. We always blame God for the job loss. We don't, we don't thank him when we get a raise or when we get a promotion. I mean, it's, it's one of those things where God always gets the blame, but very seldom gets the credit. And I'm not saying that about you. I mean, it's in my life too. And so we see in this story, he gets mad. He tells Elisha, he's like, I'm going to kill you, which is not, if you're a prophet, it's not what you want to hear from the king. And so the Bible says this in 2 Kings chapter 7, verse 1. Elisha replied, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord says. About this time tomorrow, a seah of the finest flour will sell for a shekel and two seahs of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. Now, that absolutely means nothing to us. Like when I read that, I'm like, okay. Basically, what Elisha said is by this time tomorrow, everything's going to be different. Everything's going to change. And, and there, there's a bit of skepticism in regards to this. In fact, the Bible says in verse 2, the officer on, on whose arm the king was leaning said to the man of God, look, even if the Lord should open the floodgates of heaven, could this happen? You will see it with your own eyes, answered Elisha, but you will not eat any of it. In other words, this leader who's with the king told Elisha, I know what you're saying. It just seems to be impossible. And it's the same thing I hear um, a lot of times as a church leader when I say, you know, we're called as a church to step into the world and make a difference. And I believe we can and I believe we should. And there's some people sometimes that scratch their head and they're like, man, I don't know. Is the church really going to be able to make a difference? There's some skepticism when it comes to the church because at the end of the day, we, most of the time, 
We are so guilty of forming our holy huddles and kind of being introspective and putting a piece of black electrical tape over the problems in the world and ignoring them. But right here, Elisha said, the word of God says that, that things are going to change. And I believe according to the authority of God's word, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, that we are a people of God called to make a difference in the world. And if anybody, sometimes people accuse me of being an optimist. Oh, you're just an optimist. You're just an optimist. You're just an optimist. I don't think I'm an optimist. I just think I'm somebody that takes God at his word. I just think I'm somebody that actually believes the best is yet to come. And so that's what I see right here taking place in this story. Now, now, if we're watching a movie, if this story's a movie, what we're about to experience is called a scene shift. In other words, the scene is going to shift to another um, story going on. And at first, they don't seem connected, but they are connected, all right? Verse, 2 Kings chapter 7, verse 3 says this. Now, there were four men with leprosy, at the entrance of the city gate. Now, um, I want to talk about this for just a second because um, leprosy, uh, most of us don't ha know anybody or uh, that has experienced that, but it was a skin disease that um, one of the scholars I read called it death by inches. Literally, your skin would just fall off. You would literally, your skin, and I don't know if you've ever had skin problems or skin cancer or anything like that. I remember one time I used to have a pellet pistol um, shot pellets or little, like little BBs and it was CO2 powered like it was an air pistol um, and I used to love to shoot my fingers with the air and then the fingers I mean, the air would kind of blow my fingers apart um, and I love that that was kind of cool but my dad was always get real pissed when I did it and he would um, always tell me son you're gonna blow your hand off um, which by the way don't parents always speak in extremes like you'll shoot your eye out you'll blow your hand off um, and I was like, I'm probably not going to blow my hand off. And so I, I was like, yeah, dad, I'll, I'll quit. But I didn't, I kept shooting my finger. I'm with this little pellet pistol. And then one day, um, I was shooting my finger with the air and there actually was a pellet still left in the chamber and I didn't realize it. And so I pulled the trigger and I can still remember watching a chunk of my finger Disappear. I know this is gross. A chunk of my finger disappear, and me thinking before it actually happened, oh wow, this is gonna hurt. Um, and it did a lot. But, but I thought I can't let my dad know, so I tried to hide my condition. I tried to wrap it up in a band aid and get some bandages and stuff, and kind of wrap it all up and everything. Um, and uh, I remember about three days later, I was reaching across the table to kind of get a biscuit or something. And my dad noticed the bandages on my hand. He's like, hey, boy, what'd you do? And um, I was like, oh, nothing, nothing. And he could see on the outside of the bandage that my finger had turned green. Like it was like legitimately green. I'm not making that up. It was like green and blue. It, was, it looked like a rainbow, really. It was quite fascinating. Um, and um, and then he uh, he said... Oh, I'm not going to tell you what he said, but he was obviously displeased with the way that I had handled things. And so he um, takes me to the uh, emergency room and they take a look at my finger and they did a bunch of stuff to it. And the doctor told me, he said, you know what? You almost lost your finger. And my dad said, I told you you're going to blow your finger off. And I was like, you said hand. Actually, I didn't say that. I just thought it in my mind. Um, I didn't say anything to my dad except yes, sir, at that point. 
But I remember um, when it first happened, the problem, I tried to hide it, which is what a leper would do in this society. When they got leprosy, they would try to hide the leprosy many times because um, if it was discovered that you had leprosy, a lot of people thought because you had a physical problem, it's because there was actually a spiritual problem in your life. And, and because you had leprosy, you were being cursed by God. And so once you had leprosy, you could not go to the temple to have your sins prayed for or forgiven. Most often, you were, you were kicked out of your family. You were kicked out of social circles. And you had to yell, unclean, 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 everywhere you went. So people, because if people got near you, they could get what you, what you, what you had. And so these lepers, we see that they are outside the gate. They had been kicked out of the city because they were unclean and no good. Now, I want to pause real quick and just kind of notice this and move on. Isn't it unique, the hypocrisy, even thousands of years ago, that the people inside the city who were eating children still thought they were better than the lepers? Self-righteousness is one of the most damaging things in the world because it will always cause us to focus on the sins of other people while not dealing with the sins in our own lives. And so because these men had leprosy, they were put outside the gate. And maybe you feel like you've been put outside the gate. You've been put outside the gate of, of certain circles. And maybe it's because of something that you've done. Maybe it was something that you've, that was something that was done to you. But no matter, no matter what the reason is, you feel like you've been put outside the gate. But did you know you can be outside the gate, but inside the will of God? I'll say it again. You can be outside the gate, but inside the will of God, which is what we see happening with these lepers. I love it. Let's pick it back up in uh, verse 3. Now, there were four men with leprosy at the entrance of the city gate. They said to each other, why stay here until we die? If we say we'll go into the city, the famine is there and we will die. If we stay here, we will die. So let's go over to the camp of the Arameans and surrender. If they spare us, we live. If they kill us, then we die. In other words, Let's not just sit here and do nothing. Let's do something. And that right there, to me, is one of the most encouraging things I've ever seen in the Scripture. You know, back in 1999, I had a heart and I had a vision to start a church. And it wasn't because the world needed another church. It was because I wanted to start a church that actually stepped into the world and didn't just make a point but made a difference and that really did all that it could do to reach as many people as possible with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I had people telling me it won't work. You don't have enough education. You don't. And they were right. I was a seminary dropout. I didn't have enough education. They were like, you don't have experiences. It's senior pastor. And they were right. I didn't have experience as a senior pastor, but I did have a desire to make a difference. And we planted that church in 1999. And over the next 16, 17 years, we saw over 50,000 people come to Christ. Over 50,000 people. That Those were some of the best years of my life. And I'm so glad I didn't listen to the experts 
who told me you can't do this because you don't have the experience and you don't have the education. You know, we're getting ready to start Second Chance Church. And there are some people, there are some groups um, that, that say, um, and say I'm disqualified. And, uh, you know, I, in their eyes, I probably am. And I'm, I'm not here to, to argue that or make my case. Um, I'm simply here to say, in their eyes, I, I may be disqualified. But I'm also dissatisfied with the fact that there are 7 billion people on the planet and around 3 billion know Jesus. That means 4 billion could bust hell wide open if the church doesn't get serious and make Jesus' last words our first priority and actually step into fulfilling the Great Commission rather than standing on the sidelines and judging the qualifications of the people that actually want to step into the world and make a difference. At the end of the day, I admit it. I'm just a leper who's been put outside the city gate who's looking at the situation going, I can't sit here and do nothing about people far from God. And that's why we're creating Second Chance Church. It's not because the world needs another church. It's just because I don't think we should be content putting black electrical tape over the condition of the world when God called us to step into the world and make a difference. And that's what these lepers are saying right here. In fact, the Bible says in verse 5, at dusk, they got up and went to the camp of the Aramans. They just said, hey, we are going to walk into the enemy's territory. And that's what God's called us as the church to do. Listen, we are going to walk into the enemy's territory. And as we walk into his territory, we retake it with the gospel. So they went to the camp of the Aramans. When they reached the edge of the camp, no one was there. For the Lord had caused the Aramaeans to hear the sound of chariots and horses and a great army. Can you imagine that sound system? So that they said to one another, Look, the king of Israel has hired the Hittite and Egyptian kings to attack us. So they got up and fled into the dusk and abandoned their tents and their horses and donkeys. They left the camp as it was and ran for their lives. In other words, God caused something to happen the enemy ran, and the lepers, all they had to do was, don't miss this, step into the work that God had already done. A lot of times, we say, God, I'm waiting on you to do this. I'm waiting on you to do this. I'm waiting on you to do this. And what I've discovered in my own life and in the life of others is oftentimes we're not waiting on God to move. God's already moved. He's just waiting on us to take a step of faith into what he's already done. I'll say it again. God's already moved. He's just waiting on us to take a step of faith into what he has already done. These Don't miss this. The lepers were put outside the gate. But had they not been put outside the gate, they would have not had been in position to take what the enemy had left behind. And I feel like for those who feel like you've been put outside the gate, it wasn't punishment. It was preparation for you to step into something that you would have never seen had you stayed inside of a, a city where people weren't quite as good as they thought they were. They, they, they stepped into the 
camp of the airmans and realize that God has already moved. And here at Second Chance Church, I believe God has already moved and he's doing great things and we're going to reach more people for Christ than we ever imagined was possible. Um, I, I love this. I love this. Um, the Bible says in verse 8, and it's so, I love how the Bible just tells the truth about the condition of um, mankind. It says, the men who had leprosy reached the edge of the camp, this is verse 8, entered one of the tents and ate and drank, which makes sense because they were probably hungry and probably thirsty. Then they took silver, gold, and clothes and went off and hid them. They returned and entered another tent and took some things from it and hid them also. So, so their inclination wasn't to share what was good, but to hide it. And unfortunately, that's the condition of the church, at least in America, and, and in some cases all over the world, is we want to take what we've got and keep it to ourselves. I, you know, I didn't know this. I discovered this the hard way. Um, when I first got into ministry, I was a part-time youth pastor at a church in Pickens, South Carolina. And I remember I preached one Sunday night and I, you know, I'd been a Christian less than a year and I was all fired up. I'm, I love seeing people come to Jesus. And so I was telling the church, we're going to do whatever it takes to reach people far from God. We're going to reach Pickens for Jesus, which wouldn't have been hard. It's not a lot of people, Pickens, but we're going to reach Pickens for Christ. We're going to do whatever it takes. And I'm preaching and I'm spitting and I'm sweating. I mean, I am, I am all over the place. And then after I got done preaching, there was a older lady in the church, sort of kind of like a matriarch. And she came up to me and she said, um, Hey, that was a, that was a good message, but, um, I don't think you understand how we do things around here. And I was like, um, I, obviously I didn't get the bulletin or the memo or whatever. She said, yeah, she said, we don't really want to reach a lot of people. I was like, beg your pardon? She's like, yeah, we don't want to reach a lot of people. We like what we have. And if new people come in, they kind of mess up what we've got going on. And we're, we're not big, but we love each other. And that's what we want to keep. And so I just asked her, I said, so you're willing to disobey Jesus and watch people go to hell? Probably not what I should have said, like a matriarch in the church, but I couldn't help it because I was so confused. I'm still confused about how Jesus makes the gospel so clear in regards to we're supposed to go out and reach people far from God and how churches can say, you know what, let's just kind of take what we've got and hide it. Form a holy huddle, us four and no more. And that's what's going on with the lepers in the story. They're like, hey, we got a bunch of good stuff. Let's hide it. But then something happens that's so unbelievable. Watch this. Verse 9. Then they said to each other, what we're doing is not right. This is a day of good news. Why was it good news? Because the people in the city didn't have to live the way they were living anymore. They could stop cooking their children. They could stop starving. They could stop living in need. The people in the city could come out and take what the enemy had left behind, and they could be 
provided for. By the way, just like God's word had said, this is a day of good news. We got to take this good news to the city. They said, this is a day of good news and we are keeping it to ourselves. If we wait till daylight, punishment will overtake us. And I think that's happening in the church world. 85% of churches in America are plateaued and declining. And it's not because we can't reach people. It's because we won't reach people. There's good news. And there's people out there, there. There are people that are desperate for good news. And we as the church, we've been called to take it to them. They said, if we wait till daylight, punishment will overtake us. Let's go at once and report this to the royal palace. We've got to take this good news and tell the people that desperately need it. You know, one of my favorite stories I tell, and it's, it's hilarious and it's true, which makes it better, is I had a friend that taught Sunday school. And she taught like first to second graders. And she taught them that old song. You remember that old song? If you grew up in church, you know the song. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine. That, that song, that song right there. Um, well, th they were teaching her that song. And then it gets to the first verse. Hide it under a bushel, no, I'm going to let it shine. Hide it under a bushel, no, I'm going to. Okay, this little girl didn't quite get the words right. And so when it got to that part where she was singing the song, and they're singing in front of the entire church, by the way, she sang, hide it under a bush. Hell no! I'm going to let it shine. Hide it under a bush. Hell no! And and so they they talked to her and kind of corrected. <laughs> this is a true story. Kind of corrected what she had done. and every, every, But you know, the more I've thought about that, I like her version better than the original version because it's, it's like, no, no, we're not going to hide the gospel. We're going to take it to as many people as possible. And that's what Jesus said to do. Jesus said this in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I command you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. And as a church at Second Chance, we're going to go and take the gospel to as many people as possible. I've said it a hundred times. I'll say it again. We care about two people, two types of people at Second Chance, people far from God and people who care about people who are far from God. So if you're watching today, maybe you feel like one of those lepers. Maybe you feel like you've been um, put outside the city gate. Maybe you feel like you're not good enough, that you're busted up, and God could never use anybody like you to do anything significant. But did you know, as we search through the Scripture, that the only people that God used were messed up people who just fully surrendered to Him? And so maybe that's what you need to do today. Maybe you've always thought, there's no way I could ever, ever, ever do anything great for God. There's no way... Jesus would want anything to do with me. And I would say if that's true, if Jesus doesn't want anything to do with you, then why in the world are you watching this video right now? I don't think it's coincidence. I think it's providence. I think it's Jesus saying, I want to use your life, just like he used these lepers, to make a difference if you will simply surrender your life to me. So with that in mind, can we pray? Um, heads bowed and eyes closed. If, if, unless you're driving, if you, if you're driving, don't, don't do that. It's be bad. 
Um, but maybe you're here and you need to, you're watching, you need to give your life to Christ. You never have surrendered to Jesus, either because you feel like you got kicked out or pushed out or you're not good enough. But listen, if he can save somebody like me, he can absolutely save you. And so if you want to give your life to Jesus today, right where you sit right now, you just pray in your heart and just say, Jesus, I give my life to you. Take over and show me how to live. I'm all yours. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if you prayed to receive Christ just now, would you do me a favor and shoot me an email? Um, hello at uh, and no, I'm sorry. Uh, if you'll just shoot me an email at prayer at perrynoble.com, prayer, P-R-A-Y-E-R, at perrynoble.com, or leave me a note on, on the notifications on Facebook. We would love to know that you prayed to receive Christ and celebrate with you. And if you're somebody who, you, you are a Christian, but you feel busted up and beaten up, and you feel like there's no way that God could ever do anything significant with your life, hey, there's good news. That's why we're starting Second Chance Church. Is for a bunch of crazy lepers sitting outside the gate going, you know what, let's at least do something. And so speaking of that, we are having our Easter services three weeks from this weekend. Three, three weeks. In three weeks, we're having Easter services. By the way, next week we're starting a brand new series called What Do You Do When Life Falls Apart On You? Like, what, what do you do when life falls apart on you? It's going to be a lot of fun. Hopefully, we'll get all of our technical difficulties fixed by then. Um, but in three weeks, we're having Easter. Now, listen, if you have not gotten tickets yet or you've been put on a wait list, there's good news. We are opening a fourth service, 4 o'clock on Saturday, March 31st. So, so we've got four services total now, 4 o'clock. 6 o'clock on Saturday, 9.15, and 11.15 on Sunday. Now, now listen, 6 o'clock on Saturday, 9.15 on Sunday, 11.15 on Sunday. All the tickets are gone. They're completely full. But we have some room at 4 o'clock Saturday. Now, if you were on the waiting list, you got an email this week. Um, I think it was Tuesday or Wednesday telling you about the 4 o'clock service. Um, and several people responded, but we still have some spots available. So if you want tickets, free tickets for that service, you can go to mysecondchancechurch.com, um, mysecondchancechurch.com, and you'll see an option there. You click. Um, when you get the tickets, when you register, you'll get a confirmation email. That's your tickets. If you don't find the confirmation email, a lot of people, um, for some reason, the settings on their computer, whatever, it goes to the junk folder or the trash folder or spam or whatever. So just check that. But we have room available, and so if you want to come and hang out with us on Easter um, live services in Anderson, South Carolina, then we would love to have you. There's room at 4 o'clock, so come and hang out with us if you can. Hey, I love you guys, and I will see you next week as we begin the series, What Do You Do When Life Falls Apart on You? God bless you. I love you. The best is yet to come.